Good Monday, Cougar Nation. Welcome to the start of another week and another edition of the Coordinator's Corner brought to you by JCW's, the Burger Boys. BYU went back east and came back with a comeback win. 35-16 over UMass, a comeback and some payback after UMass beat BYU last year in Provo. This time around, the Cougars dominate on both sides of the ball on the way to the win. On today's show, we'll break it all down with offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes in his final appearance of the year, by the way, and special teams coordinator Ed Lamb, Coach Grimes in the first half hour, and Coach Grimes, uh, Coach Lamb in the final 30 minutes. Great to have you with us on BYU TV, BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143 via satellite, and 107.9 FM over the air, as well as ESPN 960 AM. We are also live and on demand at BYUTV.org and BYURadio.org, plus the BYU TV and the BYU Radio apps. As always, your questions for the coaches are welcome using the hashtag CCBYU on Twitter. And we open today's show with offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes. Coach Grimes, congrats on the win and one step closer to a bowl eligibility for the Cougs. Good feeling to be here uh, after a win for sure. Yeah. Uh, first things first. Uh, last week we talked about you how you coached an entire game for the first time from the booth at Boise State. You said you'd see how the rest of the year goes, but you were back upstairs Saturday and way upstairs in Foxborough. It was a long way up there, and yeah, it, it was um, it was good. You just you just get a different perspective on the game. I do miss being on the field where I can be with the guys and look them in the eye. But we've got capable coaches down there, and and they did a good job on the field. And I felt like it felt like it helped me being upstairs. You want to finish it out up there? Do you think this season? Probably so. Yeah, uh, not an ideal start for BYU offensively. Fumble and give away on the first offensive play of the game. Aleva on some fly sweep, and Zach appeared to put the ball in a good spot for the clean exchange just wasn't secured he did and Aleva just just dropped it and um certainly not the way we'd we'd like to start a game I felt like we gave them that touchdown and if that hadn't been the case I think we would have been off to uh certainly a different start and and we hurt our defense there hurt our team but there was a positive I think that came from it and that and that was we we showed for the second week in a row really now really even more than that, that we can we can come back and at least continue to battle and stay in the game even if we don't have a good start. And I think that's I told I told the offense after the season after the um after the game that this season I felt like um we've seen some growth there in terms of our um mental toughness and, and persistence and the ability to come back and play well and play hard um, after not getting off to a great start. I felt like early in the season that wasn't necessarily the case. So I, th- I think we've definitely had some 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 growth in that area. Yeah, in, in the resolve and resiliency department. Because down 10-zip early, things can go sideways. Yeah, yeah, certainly can. And, and um, I never felt like it was that way. I thought the guys stayed positive and as um, the game showed, they came back and, and played well after that. The ensuing series after going down 10-zip I thought was going to be uh, really important for BYU, kind of a tone setter in terms of that resiliency. It was a great drive. Uh, RPO and a big run from Zach to get things going a bit. Takes you inside the 30, then a long pass to Holker, uh, setting you up uh, first and goal. Great play, by the way. Colley's motion, pulls up to safety. Dallin runs past him. Zach finds him. The next play, double slants to the right. Colley near Shumway far. Zach the Talon for the score. Four plays. Touchdown. You're back in the game. Yeah, we had several guys step up and make make plays all day, and that drive was indicative of who I think we are on offense. And that's that's an offense that's a collection of guys who who can do their job. And and on on all those plays, really, um, 
well, other than the play action to Holker, they were plays that that could have gone a couple of different ways. That one was kind of designed a designed play action pass, but the others were plays with options, and and I think that's when we're at our best. Right before the half, you slant Shumway again from a little farther out. Bushman's involved as kind of a crosser to the corner, quick fire, and you take a halftime lead. Now suddenly you're you're down two scores early, then you're up going into the break, and that was big. Yeah, I, th- I felt like it gave us the momentum that that we'd like to have going into halftime, and certainly we didn't feel like the job was done, but we were we were moving in the right direction. BYU picked up where it left off in the third quarter. The touchdown drive that uh, puts you up twenty-one to ten features a flea flicker. Uh, Hadley back to Zach, and in a whipping wind, by the way, into the wind, he drops it in the bucket to Neil Pau. Really nice catch, great throw considering the conditions. That was a nice play. Yeah, that's it, one of the advantages of having a guy like Zach who's got a strong arm. The wind really didn't bother him all that much, and, and there were times when I was curious about it, um, just looking at how it was blowing on the field. Um, but the guys downstairs were telling me, and A-Rod was telling me, don't don't let that affect how you're you're calling it because because he's throwing it fine. That he was. Uh, Matt Hadley scored from a few yards out to make it 21-10, to 10, and BYU's rolling now 21 straight. Then late in the quarter, Alevahifo on a kind of a swing sw- or a wing sweep, uh, 28-10. And then fourth quarter, Aleva again on an end around. Two rushing scores for Aleva. After the start he had, you go back to him again and again. You trust him, he makes it pay off. Yeah, absolutely. He's a guy that's performed for us so many times this year. Um, one bad play is is not going to affect my my uh, trust in him. He he's a he's a football player, and he's a guy that that will continue to count on, and I'll give him the ball as many times as I can. So we just went through quickly thirty five straight points for BYU after being down ten uh, nothing, and it was as good as BYU's been in terms of an offensive rhythm. I think all year. Fair to say, or um. You didn't at feel times, that way? at times, yeah, at times, yeah. But we had three series in a row where we went three and out. Um, once, once we got rolling, yeah, probably so. Um, but there were, you know, some of those early series in the first half where we just didn't run the ball well, and then put ourselves in position where we were in third and ten there for a while. Um, the second half rhythm, I guess, maybe more yeah. felt like like BYU sure. doing the way you wanted to do it, baby. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, this this was a game where BYU runs for. Two something, two twenty one. Uh, Kalani's now twelve and two. When you get to two hundred plus, didn't begin that way necessarily, but it seemed like second half. That's where you figured you could really just kind of grind this game out, and you did. Yeah, I'll continue to say it. Um, we're a team that needs to be balanced. We need to be able to run it in order to be able to throw it. We need to be able to throw it in order to be able to run it. I don't think we have um, the kind of team right now that's gonna that's gonna be dominant in either respect. But I think. The balance there is is a big part of who we are. Okay, it's just the number here, but it, it's a pass efficiency number. And uh, before Zach uh, became the starter, it had been two years plus since BYU'd had a game at 150 in pass efficiency, which is a, which is a good number to shoot for. And BYU's been there now in three of the last four games uh, that, that he started. What is it about? And he's not having to throw for 350, 400 to do, to do this. He's doing it with modest numbers. What is it about the way he plays the game and the way you call the game that lends itself to an efficient game through the year? Well, I think part of it is the RPO game that we're using. So um, those are fairly um, those. I won't I won't say they're easy throws, but those are throws that should have a high completion percentage on them. And th- 
when you throw those, you should be throwing in a favorable passing looks. Just like when you run it in those situations, you should be running it into favorable run looks because of the nature of how those plays work. And so I would say that's part of it. The other part of it is I would say that Zach is a guy that's inherently accurate. He, for the most part, throws the ball where it needs to go. And it, it's almost um, it's almost like when he throws one that's not extremely catchable, you're mad at him. <laughs> what happened? But sometimes you forget um, – how young he is, but so many things are still just tied into the details for him, you know, taking a better drop, getting his footwork right, getting in rhythm. And when he does those things, he's really good. And a lot of times he's good even when he doesn't. So once he gets the, some of those fundamentals down more consistently, I think he's going to be even better than what we're seeing right now. He carries out a fake really well for a freshman, don't you think? Yeah, he does. He he's does pretty that. deceptive. And, and that's coaching. You know, Aaron's done a great job uh, teaching him those things. Uh, okay, we'll take a break. We'll hit something else when we come back from the break. Uh, heading into break on the Coordinator's Corner. When we come back, uh, more from Offensive Coordinator Jeff Grimes. You can submit questions for the coach with hashtag CCBYU on Twitter. Back with more right after this. Dinner after the game at JCW's includes something for everybody, from burgers to wings, shakes to salads, JCW's quality, and a lot of it in Lehigh, American Fork, Provo, South Jordan, and coming soon to Harriman. BYU now 5-5 five and five on the season. After a 35-16 win at UMass in Foxborough on Saturday, Cougars home to New Mexico State this Saturday. That'll be an 8-15 kick and a win there. If the Cougs get it, we'll secure postseason eligibility going into the season finale at Utah. And that game time was today set for 8 p.m. Mountain Time on the 24th. That game will be on FS1. Offense coordinator Jeff Grimes with me. It seemed, Jeff, that at, uh, in Foxborough, uh, slants or down and ends were a good call and a good pattern for, uh, for BYU that day. Yeah, Zach throws those well. Our receivers catch them well, run the routes well, um, and, and it, it matches well with a lot of things we're doing in the run game. After a very strong first seven games in the red zone, it was really one of the one of the hallmarks of this team. In back-to-back losses to NIU and Boise, the difference between victory and defeat was probably just what happened in the red zone. Then came Saturday. Red zone play was perfect. Uh, five for five with five touchdowns. Now, the stats will say five for six because you kneeled down when you got to the 20 to end the game. I hate that it shows up that way. but you, And you've had a couple of kneel downs late uh, to end games. They shouldn't count, but they do. Uh, but, yeah, five for five with touchdowns in every one. That's about as good as you're going to get from your guys. Yeah, we we put some extra time in the red zone this past week. And, and um, obviously, having given uh, the struggles that we had the previous two weeks, that was warranted. Uh, glad to see that it paid off. Yeah, and that's uh, in terms of progress. When you work on it and you put extra time into it and then you see that your guys are kind of impeccable inside the 20, you say mission accomplished and then uh, try and get it done the next week the same way, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you score touchdowns in the red zone, um, as long as you're able to move the ball efficiently, then you're going to win most of your games. So that's something that we will continue to emphasize. The BYU offense had been averaging uh, four penalties a game zero offensive penalties in, in Foxborough. I'm not sure if that was a point of emphasis or what resulted in, in that number being the way it was, but you had to be pleased uh, there as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and again, I think that's something that, that we can excel at. We haven't done as well as, as we should be doing the previous uh, three weeks, but I think that's something that we that should be a hallmark of who we are. And no, no team goes without any penalties very often, so I was glad to see that. And really after the first the first play of the game, um, pretty clean in terms of uh, a number of things. That that being the only turnover, no penalties, no sacks. So there, we um, 
we we didn't have very many negative plays. And that was the only turnover of the game. Uh, it's not often you win at a minus margin. BYU did at minus one, as that was the only giveaway, and it came very, very early. Kind of minimizes the margin for error when you're not getting takeaways, but the offense was up to the task, certainly. Now, BYU had gone the first nine games, Jeff, without a 50% day on third downs. They got there Saturday, 6-for-12 on third downs against UMass. Another thing that, that I've talked about a number of times that we've not um, been particularly strong with in, in in that area this year and and again spent some more time on it this week and and thought it uh thought it paid off and a rod and fessy did a great job with some of the design of the of the passing game and um early in the game didn't come together quite well as well as we'd hoped for but as the game progressed we got in rhythm a little bit more and kind of uh, got a feel for what was working for us. The negative plays that weren't there uh, impact uh, third down yardage. Uh, at uh, at Boise State, the average third down distance to game was 11 yards, which is not very tenable. That number was under seven uh, against UMass. And, uh, you know, basically you, 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 you decrease the number of negative plays, you won't be in so many crazy third and longs. For sure. If you can keep that number at third and five or less, then you got to feel like you got a good opportunity to convert on on at least half of those. And and uh, again, that's that's who we are on offense. We don't need to be in third and 10 plus very much. Third and 6.9, the average uh, this past Saturday. UMass was the first BYU opponent this season to come into your game with a losing record. You have played a tough schedule. Almost everyone you've played will or is already bowl eligible. To what extent do you view the season's results, uh, Jeff, as a reflection of BYU's schedule strength? Because it has been hard. Well, I think that's something that we'll look at a little bit more after the season's over. We're so immersed in the weekly game-by-game stuff um, that there's uh, there's not too much time for those sort of comparisons. But, you know, the things that, that I'm proud of, I'm proud of the fact that, that our offense has grown. I feel like the culture on our offense has changed. I think we've got a group of guys that have bought in. And really, I think the reason that we were able to play well on Saturday wasn't just that we had a good week of preparation this week. It's that really our guys have practiced well consistently. Um, other than other than the week before the McNeese game, um, I feel like our guys have shown up every week and worked hard and, and practiced well. And, and we've, we've improved in a number of statistics. And it certainly hadn't shown up to the degree that we would like for it to on offense, but I think we we are an improving and evolving offense, as we talked about last week. Um, the nature of what we're doing now is certainly a lot, a lot different than what we did early in the year, but I think we're still making growth with a lot of young guys. So I'm excited about the future and certainly excited about these next couple of games. In what way did your offensive scheme philosophy change most from start to season, start of season to where we are now, ten games in? Well, I think it's um, playing with a different type of personnel, particularly when we lost the tight ends and then when we changed the quarterbacks. Those two things changed us from being a team that was primarily huddling, relying on a lot of uh, pre-snap shifts and motions um, to one that is not huddling, um, putting the ball in the hands of the quarterback five yards deep rather than under the center most of the time, although there's still some some of that under the center game there. Um, and then and then there being more decisions that are made um, after the quarterback takes a snap, uh, just because that plays into the hands of uh, Zach as well as who we're playing with at tight end. So 10 games in now, do you almost feel kind of settled in now with, with the new way of doing things? Yes, although we're still evolving, and you know when you make a switch that late in in the season, um, you, you got to keep moving. You got to keep evolving because you um, you can build some tendencies in a short amount of time. So we're working to to continue to 
to develop some of those things. You lost tight ends, and before the season began, it didn't get talked about a lot. You lost fullbacks, too. You were down fullbacks as well. Would that have also impacted how you wanted to do things, generally speaking? Yeah, I think so. Um, it, it certainly would have, but the tight ends and the quarterback, um, just who we were playing with, um, uh, just different sorts of uh, skill sets. Okay, uh, before the break, from first start to, say, through four starts, uh, where has Zach Wilson improved the most, do you think? I think just in his decision-making. Um, being a young guy, it's a lot to make some of the decisions that we're asking him to make, and I think the more times he's asked to make those decisions, the more consistently he'll make the right ones. Okay, coming up next, more with BYU Offensive Coordinator Jeff Grimes, including your questions for the coach using hashtag CCBYU. This is the Coordinator's Corner, brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. Back with more right after this. You are in the Coordinator's Corner, brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. BYU versus New Mexico State this Saturday. BYU needing one win for postseason eligibility. The Aggies already ineligible for postseason play after snapping a long bowl streak last season. They did get into a bowl last year. This weekend's game is a late one, 8.15 p.m. kick at Lavelle Edwards Stadium on the Cougars' senior night. And uh, Coach Jeff Grimes, uh, not too many seniors to send off on the offensive side of the ball. No, there really aren't, and um, that's a positive. It really is. Uh, you're going to lose a little bit. You're going to lose a starting right tackle, which is usually a lot bit on any team. Uh, tell us about Austin Hoyt and how he's progressed for you and what you will miss with him. Well, I'll miss him as a person, number one. He is, he is a tremendous individual and has turned into a great leader for us as well as our most consistent offensive lineman. And, uh, you know, had a, had a bum ankle this past week, didn't, didn't practice all of the week, and um, went out and still, still played well and produced for us and has become just, just a real leader for us um, with his play and his personality. And we'll, we'll miss a lot there. Louis Lapuahu battled just to get back into a uniform uh, this year, and he'll be a senior as well that we'll uh, give a blanket to on Saturday night. We'll miss a lot in terms of Louis's personality yeah. and his leadership as well. Believe it or not, for a guy that doesn't play at all, he's the best leader I've ever been around. Um, normally you would say a guy that's not playing can't have that type of impact on a team, but he really does. The guys respect him, and um, I, I tell you what, I take my hat off to him in terms of his willingness to lead given the role that he's been in. Yeah, if his lower limbs had just stayed right, how good could he have been? He was really something. Yeah, we were really we were really hoping for a little bit more from him, but just wasn't able to do it. But he gave us everything that he had this year, and, and I'll, um, I'll be appreciative of that for sure. Uh, Dylan Colley will leave you after a season at BYU. Miss Dylan, just in terms of his energy and, and confidence that he brings to to the receiver room and, and another guy that just shows up to work every day with a smile and, and a great attitude. And then four seniors in the offensive backfield among primary players, a Matt Hadley who came back and has done everything at BYU, a Braden L. Bakery, Tanner Mangum, of course, and Squally Canada. Yep, and all those guys um, will miss in different ways. Um, Tanner for obviously how he helped us early. you know, and, I, and I'll continue to give Tanner a lot of credit for – how he's handled all of this and, and uh, just just been a great leader for us in his role as well, kind of similar to Louie, and continued to be a leader and, and a mentor to Zach and, and got a lot of respect for him and how he's handled all this. Okay, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, the second guy to get in last week for a snap and then more this week was uh, Jaron Hall. Uh, he's apparently come along and has progressed uh, in his role. He has, and much like Zach, has um, 
has a lot of potential and a lot of growth yet in front of him, and that and that certainly shows up at times. But uh, a guy that that we're excited to have in the program and and excited about his future. What's the right way to deal with or handle uh, for each of them and and for coaches and staffs two true freshman quarterback who both show a ton of promise? Well, I think it's I think it's the same way um, you would you would any position in terms of how you how you manage that, and that is to continue coaching and developing both of them. Um, whether whether a guy's a starter or a number two or a number three, if he's in the same class as the first guy, uh, but you want him on your team, which we certainly do, then you continue to coach and develop him. And and uh, like any other position, you uh, you assure everyone that the guys who perform the best are going to be the ones who have the opportunity to play. Okay, to social media we go for Coach Jeff Grimes at Big Louie says, in your grading system, how's the o offensive line scored for the season? Uh, do you feel they're progressing each week and uh, where you'd like them to be or expect them to be? Well, they're not where I would like for them to be. Um, but again, much like Zach and some of our other guys, other than Austin, they're really young. Um, so there's some frustration there at times with us as coaches, but then you have to step back and realize that they are young and they're still developing and progressing. Are they where we would like for them to be? No, they're not. Um, will they be? Yes. When? Not sure. Um, but they, they've had some some games where they played really well and then some where they haven't played quite as well. But I think they took a step in the right direction this week. Okay. You never want to speculate on the game's outcome, but this question from social media from X Animal Knight says, if there's a comfortable buffer zone toward the end of the New Mexico State game, could we see Tanner Mangum on senior night? I think in any game you could see Tanner Mangum, and I would like to see Tanner play. We'll uh, – We'll approach that if the if the situation arises. Okay, to New Mexico State then. Uh, you've gotten into them early enough in the week to have a sense of uh, what they do and how they do it. Um, some general thoughts on the Aggies? They play they play real sound defense, um, uh, a mixture of uh, coverages. Cover four would probably be their base with with a good amount of cover one man free as well, and then and then blitz three uh, traditional three dog blitz where they bring five and play three deep, three under, and do some things schematically that will provide some challenges. And I'm sure they'll come in here wanting to have an opportunity to knock us off. So we're expecting their best. The objective is win out uh, over the next number of weeks, how many weeks there are. But uh, bowl eligibility is the next major milestone uh, on the horizon. And we could see that Saturday night. Um, And that would be something to hang a bit of a hat on, wouldn't it, going into your season finale after what happened last year here? For sure. And I think for any team – Playing in a bowl is, is a reward, and it's um, an opportunity to to um, reward your players and your coaches and your families and everyone for, for the long season and all the work that they've put in. It's also an opportunity for growth with the extra practice time that you get and the development of your team, and I think it just pushes us forward towards something really positive, um, both in recruiting and, and this offseason and spring. And not being currently tied into anywhere and knowing that uh, ESPN owned bowls are likely going to be a destination for BYU. BYU really could, if they get to their six here, Jeff, go anywhere. And that's kind of interesting, too. It could be anything. We'll be glad to go bowling wherever anybody wants us, <laughs> from my perspective. Where they'll send you. Yeah. So uh, BYU uh, getting the six and ideally seven and eight before all is done uh, would be wonderful and a great reward for the fan base. And I want to finish with a, a thought about the fans. You've been at BYU before, so you know how BYU travels, but you do, you weren't here in the independence era. Now you are, so where you hit different places around the country. And you went back east two time zones away on a cold, blustery day and basically – 
owned the stadium in terms of fan support that day out in Boston or suburban Boston. How was it to know that all those people were literally behind you or behind the BYU team bench in front of you? Uh, how did it look to you and how impressed how are you by the BYU fans who do travel? Yeah, I'm always impressed wherever we wherever we show up that there there are people there and um it's it's one of the um hallmarks of being at at a program that has a uh nationwide and even worldwide following and um it's certainly a lot of fun and I think uh pretty cool for our players to show up and and see a lot of people um wherever we go and particularly on a day that that wasn't the most favorable in terms of conditions. It was a good day Saturday. Well, because of your rotation, uh, this wraps it up for you in the coordinator's corner this year. Thank you so much for uh, coming in and sharing your knowledge and insight week to week. I always learn a lot from you and uh, really enjoyed hearing from you, as did our listeners. So thank you for the season. Best of luck in the next two weeks, and hopefully there's a third too. Sounds great. We're excited about it and appreciate all your time as well. um, excited about these next couple weeks. All right, thank you, Coach Jeff Grimes. Coming up after the break, I'll be joined by BYU Special Teams Coordinator Ed Lamb as we continue on The Coordinator's Corner, brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys here on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and ESPN 960. Dinner after the game at JCW's includes something for everybody, from burgers to wings, shakes to salads, JCW's quality, and a lot of it in Lehigh. American Fork, Provo, South Jordan, and coming soon to Harriman's second half hour, the coordinator's corner begins now here on BYU TV and BYU Radio, along with ESPN 960. We say hello to special teams coordinator, linebackers coach, and assistant head coach, Ed Lamb, and your questions for the coach coming in using hashtag CCBYU. Coach Lamb, good to see you. Greg, thanks. It was announced this past week that uh, you are among the nominees for the annual Broyles Award uh, given to the top assistant coach in college football. So congratulations on that honor and on the win Saturday. Oh, thanks. It was a that was a really special win uh, from the standpoint of coming from behind. I think that always can be can work some real magic for a team to have a realization that uh, no game is over until the the final whistle. And so, you know, it was obviously very early, and and I don't think there was any panic uh, setting in or anything like that. But I think the cumulative effect sometimes of a comeback victory can that can that can uh, add momentum to the season uh, for weeks to come. Now, Coach Lamb does not help me produce the show, but what a great segue to this next point. Uh, first time in the Kalani Sitake era that BYU has come back from more than seven points to win a game. Cougs were down 10-zip early before roaring back 35 straight after going down 10 nothing. What a great response uh, from the team after a shaky start and in really challenging conditions uh, weather-wise. Yeah, and, and I'll give uh, Coach Shitake a lot of credit. I think, uh, you know, he he stayed, he remained positive on the sideline. And uh, and everybody, you know, the, the uh, speed of the leader is the speed of the team. And I think everybody fed off of that and had confidence that uh, we'd, we'd prepared well and we were ready to play. And... Um, you know, I think after the flow of the game settled in, uh, we proved to be the better team on that day. Uh, Coach Grimes uh, made a reference, and it might have even been off the air, but I think he'd be okay with uh, with me sharing it, that as as the offense gained momentum, the defense seemed to just kind of take it and dovetail, and they both started working uh, in lockstep, and, and intensity from both ends seemed to ramp up. Yeah, that's one of the real challenges of, of football is it's, it's a team sport, and that, and that's in, in why some people call it the ultimate team sport is because uh, you really are are two completely different teams playing as as one, uh, competing for one victory, and it can be really uh, it can be really disheartening to have one side of the ball, uh, you know, like in that in that game, uh, one play and a turnover after the defense had been out on the field for 
a, uh, quite a long drive. In that first drive, yeah. And and before and because most of the uh, defensive personnel are on the kickoff coverage team, there was no time for adjustments, no time to rest, no time to even get a little bit of hydration, uh, and then and then back out on the field. And so it's just it's just really disheartening. And and um, as coaches, we have to guard against that, preach against that, try to get the guys excited to play uh, what we call sudden change defense. But um, but the the flip side of that is is it's very real when the offense is playing well, the defense feeds off of that, and I think I think vice versa. And uh, the point you mentioned uh, with the sudden change coming the way it did after just one play, I think by the time you were down ten nothing, the plays run were I think twenty one to one by that point. Uh, the, the long drive, the short drive, but there it was twenty one plays to one for the other, and you're down two scores after running just one play. That's a very rare thing. Uh, UMass was a top twenty five team coming in in yards per play, top thirty team in points per game. They hadn't played an overly stout schedule, but enough good teams, and they'd scored against good teams. They were coming off a 777-yard week the week before, and Coach Tuiaki told me last week on this show, Ed, that uh, UMass had among the more complex offenses BYU would see this season. Considering all that, what were going to be the, uh, the key components to defending UMass the way you did so well? Uh, every week it all starts up front, really. The uh, the defensive line has has got to do their job. Um, without a uh, good pass rush, then the secondary is exposed. The linebackers aren't able to fill gaps. Uh, their offensive line would be climbing to the next level. And so it always starts and really ends with, with the defensive line, and the rest of the defense uh, feeds off of their intensity and their ability to make plays and create havoc up front. The D-line does a lot of the dirty work that may not show up in the stats, allowing the linebackers to be the stars of the show on Saturday, which they were. Uh, Taki Taki and Isaiah Kofusi each with 14 tackles to share the team lead. Sione had two tackles for loss and a forced fumble. Isaiah with a pass breakup. Then Rhett Sandlin has four solo stops, including three TFLs and his first two sacks of his career. Yeah, Rhett, Rhett's done a, a wonderful job all, all season long, really, of preparing himself to be ready. He's played a number of different positions, and this this game plan against UMass was was particularly suited to his skill set. He's a former defensive end. He knows how to rush the passer. He had a few opportunities, I, I think uh, five or six opportunities to rush the passer. Two of them got home on sacks, and uh, he played very well otherwise, too. Like you say, not all the good play on defense shows up on the on the stat sheet. I mentioned uh, Isaiah Kofusi uh, with a pass breakup, and that PBU could have been a pick six pretty pretty quickly too. Oh, he could have. He, I didn't. I was up. You know, I'm up in the box. Uh, and you're by the, the way, you're way games. up in the box. Way up in that. Yeah, box, that, that yeah. one was crazy. Which which I really like. Some of the some of the guys were kind of. I don't know if they were complaining about it or just remarking about it, but I I thought right away, wow, this is the best view that that we've ever had way up there. But uh, yeah, so I, I didn't really know whether he got one hand on it or two. Uh, you know, you just kind of from up there, you see the uh, X's and O's and the shape of things more than the, the small details. But he had it in two hands and was ready to go, did a great job of baiting it. It was very much like the interception that he did have against Cal. You talked about him last time you were with me on this show, just about uh, maybe how much he's been a, I don't know if I, the word pleasant surprise is appropriate or not. I think you thought that he progressed maybe even further, farther than you thought he might be able to this year. He's been really good for you. Very much. Yep. He's He's been a, been a surprise. And I, I think the way I said it was, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to um, exceed my hopes and expectations because I'm really optimistic about guys and I think it's my job to bring out the very best in them. And, and hopefully I can see potential in them that they don't see in themselves. And I think that's the mark of a good coach. Uh, but but in his case, he he exceeded the expectations and the hopes that I had for him this year. And looking back, uh, looking at it, the way that he does it is just he he works incredibly hard. Nobody mm-hmm. nobody works harder in our meeting room with his note taking, his questions, his film study away from the office. I mean, he just he works incredibly hard at being as good as he can be. The Saturday the Saturday game was the kind of game where a lot of guys could get into the game late. And after the kind of season it's been, kind of nice to be able to clear the bench a little bit and, and get some other guys some more reps. 
It was. It was. It was great. We had uh, we had some guys in there on the on the last. Uh, well, it, I believe it was the last drive. Anyway, the the scoring drive that we gave up at the end of the game. Uh, there were some guys in there that don't even practice with our defense. It would would have been uh, just as. I mean, we could have thrown offensive players out there at that point. They were guys that have really traveled for their special teams role. They're on scout team uh, scout team defense, really working with our offense. Ninety um, percent of practice, they're over with our offensive guys. So. We didn't have any cards, and but we were joking after the game. Maybe we should have had Coach Pugh call the defense because really that's that's what they're used to is him calling the defense for them. It was just just go play at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. They just yeah. They, they went out and played, and I think that that's important. And uh, Coach Shitake, you know, wanted that to happen, and he was right. We need to, you know, it's it's important to to take pride in um, statistics and holding teams out of the end zone and being competitive on game day. But it's also important to have an overall picture for not just this game, but future games and future seasons. And a lot of those guys that were getting their playing time, they'll be critical in uh, tight games down the stretch. The bottom line is, is wins and losses. BYU's five and five, and they probably feel you could be already, you know, seven or eight wins into this season at this point. But that said, does it feel like the offense has really settled into a good place right now? We're kind of week to week. It's something you can really count on. I think so. Um, you know, I think uh, Coach Coach Grimes is really seems to be um, hitting his stride in in terms of uh, you know offenses and defenses and special teams really evolved throughout the season. And I've seen a real evolution toward a, toward an identity here in the last few weeks. I see the um, the play calls coming in more quickly. I see uh, a lot of confidence the way that our players are executing um, those play calls and anticip- even anticipating which play calls are coming next. And so I think. I think you know it's all about momentum and stride, and I think we're really hitting our stride right now. And the defensive stride continues. Only two games really got away from BYU, but I think defensively it's just been something uh, that, that fans can see and players uh, and coaches can hopefully um, uh, appreciate uh, the observation that they've been a real strong point for the team this season. Fair enough to say that? They're playing incredibly hard, and that's always uh, number one on defense is how hard can you play from, from front to back end, and they've been doing that really well the last few weeks. Okay, break time on the Coordinator's Corner. When we return, I'm more with Special Teams Coordinator Ed Lamb. Stay with us. Hi, I'm... The Coordinator's Corner is brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. BYU Special Teams Coordinator Ed Lamb joining us here in half hour number two. This Saturday, it's 5-5 five and five BYU hosting a fellow FBS independent for a second straight week. It's 3-7 and seven New Mexico State visiting Lavelle Edwards Stadium on senior night. And we'll get to the seniors in a second. Uh, backtracking to the UMass game for a moment. Uh, the weather conditions in Foxborough uh, were far from optimal. It probably affects special teamers as much as anybody. Kicks, returns, it was a wild day that way. Each week, uh, every Monday, in fact, uh, we'll, each coordinator will stand in front of the whole team and talk about uh, what we call our winners, our champions, and players of the game. And it's just kind of three levels of, of high performances. And uh, and this week, uh, you know, for me, a real key to the game was the specialists, the snappers, the holders, the kickers. It was really just going to be about who was going to have the weather affect them. And, and UMass had a the uh, weather affect them on one of their field goals. I thought their operation time was a little bit sloppy, and Corbin got a hand on the on the football, and then uh, they had a punt snap that was bad, followed by a poor kick, uh, followed by a poor punt that was just really a straight up and down. And, and I thought it was one of the differences in the game. In a, in a game of that scoring margin differential, it wasn't wasn't the key to the game, but 
it was a, um, certainly an area where I thought our guys performed and responded to the challenge. I would have liked to have a hat, uh, have had a heart monitor on uh, on Michael Shelton on the punt returns because uh, once that thing got up in the air, you never yeah. knew, and he caught one over his head. He had, he had yeah. it was going everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Again, I'm up in a climate controlled <laughs> uh, box, and in in the pregame, it was not near how it was during the game. That's my understanding anyway. And and coming down at halftime, I had a a, a new appreciation for how much that wind was actually blowing and how cold it was. But uh, yeah, there were a few times where he was making catches, and I was just uh, or catching those punts, and I was disappointed in the way that he was fielding it, his technique. And, and uh, a couple of the other guys on the headset are like, "Hey, coach, it is it's nasty down here. <laughs> yeah. Like, heck of a job by him to, to get his hands on it and keep it from rolling." So yeah. credit credit given. Uh, why did the Red Sandlin return on the straight up in the air punt get called back? I never really got a clear feel for that. Did you? No, um, and and the officials, I I think they they must have made I some heard type of mistake here or something. Yeah, uh, it, we, the uh, my understanding was we couldn't get the official on our sideline to tell us what was going on, which is really huh. rare these days because they wear headsets and microphones, and it's so easy to communicate. And it used to be you'd have to almost count, call a timeout uh, before they started wearing those. But yeah, it would even either by an inadvertent whistle or actually one of our guys was pointing at the ball. And uh, if that would be the case, then any any pointing at the ball is considered a fair catch signal, oh. um, even, even one that hits the ground at, at a later point. And, and that's just a safety concern. The, the punt team okay. is taught that if they see somebody pointing, that, that is a, could be considered a valid catch, fair catch signal. Uh, punt question about Red Almond. Uh, he was, it, it appeared to me like he was uh, uh, deliberately trying to keep the punt out of the wind and keeping it low, like low drivers all day for him. Was that was that by design? He, he was. I don't know if you noticed, but all of our punts were into the wind. It seemed so, that yeah. it seemed that way. Yeah, they were all yeah, going that way. They were, right? all, yeah. they were all into a stiff wind, and so I, was, I teased with our offensive coaches after. Hey guys, can you give us one or two with the wind? You know, that's pretty lopsided performance for our punter. But uh, he he actually did a really good job of trying to create some rolls. He uh, um, you know he had he had a couple where he didn't see the rush and uh, was too close for comfort on the pressure. And that's just that was just a kind of a mental mental mistake right there. But in terms of his execution and the results on into that wind, outstanding job by him. I mentioned senior night coming up this Saturday, and you'll be saying so long to some seniors on special teams. Uh, and there there are a lot of others on cover that we're not going to be able to get to. But among the guys, uh, punter Red Almond, kickoff specialist Andrew Mickelson, deep snapper Mitch Harris listed as a senior, as is holder Gavin Fowler, and returners Michael Shelton, Tanner Jacobs, and Matt Hadley to give your kickoff guys from this past week. It's a good chunk of your group. It is, and they've they've set an incredibly high standard. You know, all over the country, teams are uh, just have nightmares about special teams turnovers, and and we've you know knock knock on wood here, we we've had one that uh, that I can remember a special teams turnover, and that was just a couple of weeks ago at Boise. But uh, those specialists, all those guys that you mentioned that handle the ball, kick the ball. Um, you know, to not have kicks blocked, to not have punts blocked, to not turn the ball over in the special teams phase of the game, those are huge contributions that uh, often go unnoticed. And those guys will all be very difficult to replace. At your other position group, linebacker, seniors winding things down include Sione Takitaki, Butch Pau'u, uh, Riggs Powell, Adam Pulsifer, Rhett Sandlin. Hope I didn't forget anybody among the top uh, two or three in each uh, position. But uh, your position groups, I think, take the biggest hits in senior class attrition. I think they, they do. Yeah, <laughs> they do. And and it was uh, you know I uh, that was like that last year. You know, we had Johnny uh, Johnny leaving, um, Linehan leaving, and then at the linebacker position we had a bunch of new replacements. But Shona came from defensive end, and and uh, Zane came from the safety position. And so yeah, I just uh, I, that's something that as coaches we enjoy that challenge and. 
over time, I've just always seen that the, when you have a great player graduate, he leaves a high standard and somebody rises to that occasion. So I'll be anxious to work with the next group of guys and, and try to meet those standards. It's interesting, though. You take away linebackers and special teamers, and most of the rest of the team comes back. So it really is kind of senior-focused where we uh, where BYU is going to lose players at your position groups. Uh, we know Zane Anderson is scheduled to come back next year, and Isaiah Kofusi has been had an eye-opening season, as we talked about. That's two of the, of the three linebacker spots. Who else would be waiting in the wings to be a starter next year or push for playing time, and who's going to kind of maybe fill out that too deep that you can already think about for next year? You know, some of the top young guys right now, uh, Jackson Jackson Calfusi, uh, Max Tooley, Peyton Wilgar, those guys uh, really we've, we've uh, at, at any point during the season, we felt like we could have brought them along a little further and into the lineup, but uh, they're all going to be advantaged, I think, by counting this year as a redshirt year, and they're going to step right in and compete for starting jobs in spring practice. Um, Drew Jensen before he before he hurt his knee, but he'll he'll be back from that. He's tough. He's been there before and and done that. And he's a he's an incredibly good athlete too. So, a lot of good young guys, and, and we feel like there's a lot of great guys out there on missions that'll be coming back in in future years as well. Is Christian Folau in the mix as well? Yeah, Christian Folau. He's battled a lot of injury this year, but mm. uh, you know, just kind of minor things that have that have kept him back. But uh, yeah, Christian Christian's an amazing, very smart player, very physical. And I feel like he'll be in the mix as well. It'll be an interesting spring practice session. Okay, a couple of last UMass odds and ends. Uh, their wide receiver, Andy Isabella, was leading the nation in receiving yards coming into the BYU game and still is leading the nation in total receiving yards, second now in yards per game because BYU held him well below his average. Still got his 10 catches for 85 yards, but that was actually a quiet day for him. <laughs> on yeah. the whole, you guys did a really nice job on a very explosive player. Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, he he is their offense, and and usually don't find an, an offense ranked as highly as theirs in so many statistical categories that uh, that relies on one player so heavily. But uh, but he is that special. I, I believe you'll see him playing on Sundays, and uh, and and at his height and height, height and weight uh, that you know that's going to be a major achievement. He's not a very big guy, but incredibly fast, ten five sprinter in high school, so really elite speed for football. And uh, yeah, a real a real challenge for our guys. So ten ten catches for eighty five is not going to get it done for UMass with yeah. that guy. Yeah. Speaking of ten ten TFLs for BYU, ten tackles for loss, including four sacks. Great day that way. It was like I said up front. The guys were really creating havoc on getting some penetration and uh, stopping the run, and especially after that first drive. All right, heading to break again on the Coordinator's Corner when we return our final segment of the day and your social media questions using hashtag CCBYU as we continue live on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and ESPN 960. Back after this. Dinner after the game at JCW's includes something for everybody, from burgers to wings, shakes to salads. JCW's quality and a lot of it in Lehigh, American Fork, Provo, South Jordan, and coming soon to Harriman. BYU Special Teams Coordinator Ed Lamb with us for our final moments of today's broadcast. Looking ahead now to BYU and New Mexico State this Saturday at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. BYU with a win will have six wins on the season and be eligible for postseason play. And as good as it'll be to get to six and start thinking about uh, postseason possibilities, uh, I'm sure you thought that, wow, six wins could have come two or three weeks ago, whatever it was, but you can't keep that thought pervasive, right? You, th- you probably think you're better than a six-win team or a five-win team currently, but you just got to roll on, don't you? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, every every week we're we're so into what we're doing. You know, it's it's more than just the preparation for uh, for for one day. We're preparing 
almost 20 hours a day for a, for a practice and then the next practice and then the game. And so, yeah, we, at the beginning of the season, you're kind of hoping you'd be at six wins on game six. But uh, it is <laughs> nice to get to uh, to get to that six win so that a, y- y- we know going into this game we can we can very healthily look at this game as an opportunity to become bowl eligible. And, and you know, you, can, you can't do that very often. So You usually don't win very often when you're minus in the turnover margin. BYU won at a minus one uh, this past week. It was only just the one turnover. came on the first play of the game offensively for BYU. So you didn't have the takeaways, but everything else BYU's defense did uh, was done at a really high level, so where minus one didn't really matter by the end of it. Yeah, that, yeah that's right. Yeah, they're just the, the whole team really solidified there. When, when the offense put together that uh, very uh, quick, almost easy offensive drive, they made it look easy anyway is probably the best way to say it, and defense came out with a few three-and-outs in a row. I think I think at that point it, the momentum was so much in our favor that uh, you know we didn't need turnovers. We were really gaining turnovers by causing three and outs and, yeah. and getting the ball back. BYU did force two fumbles. They were just they both just bounced to UMass players. They did. Yeah. Turned out so yeah. yeah, frustrating. Before we get on to New Mexico State, uh, I, I'm sure you saw some of the numbers that came out of a, a game featuring one of your old teams this past weekend. You used to coach at San Diego. San Diego was home to Davidson, and San Diego won the game 56 to 52. And some of the numbers were just eye-popping. Davidson had 789 rushing yards and lost. Yeah. yeah. 750 is a pretty like, – when you get to 789, you think you're probably going to win the game yeah. at that number, I think. Yeah. You know, San Diego's got a, a proud tradition that really um, – when when I was there with Jim Harbaugh, it was the – we'd won the first conference championship in school history, and I think now they've got seven or 11 in a row, and okay. uh, they're, they're a really strong program and really built on defense. They've had some great offenses too. You can't can't sustain success that long without being great on both sides of the ball, but that that had to really hurt giving up that many yards rushing. The total yardage for the game between the two teams was 1483. Davidson at 852 in a loss. San Diego at 631. San Diego's quarterback Anthony Lawrence threw for 556 and seven touchdowns. And so it was all San Diego in passing and all Davidson in rushing, and by the end of it, it was 56-52. One of the craziest games you'll ever see. It must have been a great game to watch. So New Mexico State, um, thoughts on their offense, as you've seen them early in the week here? Oh, you know, this team is really similar in in matchup style to the game we just had. Very, very competent offense. Uh, I think they're they're definitely in the top half of the nation, maybe the top quarter in, in scoring and passing yards. Uh, right now their rushing offense hasn't been really strong, but it's one of the better running backs we've faced. So I think by design, they don't plug the ball up in there too much in the in the running game and just kind of see what they can get and then keep going back to it. But it'll be a real a real challenge for our guys uh, on defense. And I think their defense is very aggressive, and so they can make big plays. But overall, over the course of the season, they've maybe just to succumb to uh, the cumulative effect of being you know a defense for a hurry-up offense. And so I don't think their statistics are great, but they've got good players on on offense and defense, and and in their special teams as well. So, you know, not not a game to be taken lightly. None are. Okay, uh, the chill of this past weekend, prepping BYU for its final two games. It'll be an eight fifteen kick this weekend, eight o'clock kick in Salt Lake City the following Saturday. As that came out this morning, a couple of social media questions before we wrap things up here with Coach Lamb from at Coog fifty six twenty one Jet. What is the key to keeping your guys' heads in the game when things go wrong? Well, I alluded to it earlier. I thought that it all started with uh, with Coach Shitake, but uh, you know, I, I wasn't exactly on the sideline. I can only hear the coaches talking, but I felt the positive energy coming from the coaches and a belief. And I think that players really feed off of that. They, they can players can read a lot into the expression on a coach's face, even and not not just their words. But I thought overall, the coaches still very much believe. The players probably did as well, and I, I think that's the key: is just keeping a positive attitude and and one that can 
can really transcend any difficulties that happen throughout the game. Okay, from at J Madsen underscore 14, from an off-the-field perspective, what will you miss most about this year's senior class? Well, um, you know, I, each guy, I think there's a, there's a different story that I could tell about each guy, but I just, just if I had to put it in, uh, you know, a short uh, answer for the whole group, um, the fact that they came back from such a difficult season and then now with, with two games left, still have a lot to play for. Last year with two games left, we didn't have a lot to play for other than pride. And uh, there, there are still some tangible things on the line here, an opportunity to compete um, for a bowl game um, invitation this week, an opportunity to get to seven wins and compete against a rival. And then, uh, you know, after that, uh, p- potentially a third game to get a bowl game trophy. So still a lot on the line. And these guys have kind of willed themselves. They have they just willed themselves into this position over time. In the final 15 seconds with you, what would it mean to follow up 4-9 and nine last year with a postseason play and hopefully a bowl win? Uh, I mean, it, it means everything when I, when I think of it from the perspective of, of my job, uh, my career, my alma mater, my school, where I'm at. I mean, this is just, you know, it's, uh, we, we, there is nothing better than standing with our fans after a game singing singing our fight song after a win. And that's, uh, that's, just, that's just a tremendous feeling, and I hope we get can take advantage of every opportunity to do that. Good luck getting to six this weekend, and we'll see you next week. Okay, thanks, Greg. All right, that's Coach Ed Lamb. He'll have, he'll have Elisha Tuiaki with Coach Lamb here next week. For everybody at BYU TV and BYU Radio, I'm Greg Rubel. This has been the Coordinator's Corner. We'll talk to you next week at 1 o'clock Eastern, 11 a.m. Mountain Time. So long.